Section 17 of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sean Michael Hogan. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. The Adventures of Sir Artigal, The Sword of Justice, and the Iron Man. One of the noblest heroes at the court of the Fairy Queen was Artigal, the champion of justice. After his marriage with Britomart, it may be remembered, he started on a hard adventure, which led him into much peril. This was to succor a distressed lady whom a strong tyrant unjustly kept captive, withholding from her the heritage which she claimed. The lady was called Irene, peace, and the tyrant Grantorto, great wrong. When Irene came to the fairy queen to beg redress, Queen Gloriana, whose delight it was to aid all poor suppliants, chose Artigal to restore right to her, because he seemed the best skilled in righteous learning. Even from his cradle Artigal had been brought up to justice, for one day when he was a little child playing with his companions, he had been found by a great and wonderful lady called Astrea, who, while she dwelt here among earthly men, instructed them in the rules of justice. Seeing that the boy was noble and fit for her purpose, she persuaded him to go with her. She took him far away to a lonely cave, in which she brought him up, and taught him all the disciplines of justice. She taught him to weigh equally both right and wrong, and where severity was needed, to measure it out according to the line of conscience. For want of mankind, she taught him to practice this teaching on wild beasts which she found in the woods, wrongfully oppressing others of their own kind. Thus she trained him, and thus she taught him to judge skillfully wrong and right, till he reached the years of manhood, so that even wild beasts feared him, and men admired his overruling might. Nor was there any living person who dared withstand his behest, much less match him in fight. To make him more dreaded, Astrea gave Artigal a wonderful sword called Chryseor, which excelled all other swords. It was made of most perfect metal, tempered with adamant, all garnished with gold upon the blade, whereby it took its name. It was no less powerful than famous, for there was no substance so firm and hard but it could pierce or cleave, nor any armor that could guard off the stroke, for wherever it lighted, it cut completely through. In course of time Astrea left this world, and went to live among the stars, from which she had first come. But she left behind her on earth her servant, an iron man, who always attended on her to execute her judgments, and she bade him go with Artigal and do whatever he was told. The man's name was Talus. He was made of iron mold, immovable, irresistible, unchanging. He held in his hand an iron flail, with which he threshed out falsehood and unfolded the truth. Talus therefore went with Sir Artigal on this new quest, to aid him, if he chanced to need aid, against the cruel tyrant who oppressed the Lady Irene and kept the crown from her. Nothing is more honorable to a knight, nor better becomes brave chivalry, than to defend the feeble in their right, and redress the wrongs of those who go astray. So the heroes of old won their greatest glory, and herein this noble knight excelled, who now went forth to dare great perils for the sake of justice. As Artigal and Talus went on their way, they chanced to meet the servant of Florimel, who told the good news that his lady was safe and well, and engaged to be married to her own true knight, Marinel. Sir Artigal was very pleased to hear this, and asked when the wedding was to take place, for if he had time he would like to be present to do honour to the occasion. The wedding will be within three days, said the man, at the castle of the Strand, at which time, if nothing hinders me, I shall be there to do her service, as I am bound. But in my way, a little beyond here, dwells a cruel Saracen who keeps with strong hand the passage of a bridge. He has killed there many a knight-errant, wherefore all men, out of fear, shun the passage. 
"'What sort of person and how far away is he who does such harm to travellers?' asked Artigal. "'He is a man of great defence, expert in battle and in deeds of arms,' was the answer. "'And he is made much bolder by the wicked spells with which his daughter supports him. "'He has got large estates and goodly farms by oppression and extortion with which he still holds them. "'His crimes increase daily, for he never lets anyone pass that way over his bridge, "'be he rich or poor, without paying him toll money. "'His name is Polente.' because he is so strong and powerful. He conquers every one, some by his strength, and some also he circumvents by cunning. For it is his custom to fight on the bridge, which is very narrow, but exceedingly long, and in this bridge are fixed many trap-falls, through which, not noticing, the rider falls down. Underneath the bridge flows a swift and dangerously deep river, into which falls headlong, destitute of help, any one whom the Saracen overthrows. But the tyrant himself, because of his long practice, leaps forth into the flood, and there assails his foe, confused by his sudden fall, so that horse and man are both equally dismayed, and either drowned or treacherously slain. Then Polente robs them at will, and brings the spoil to his daughter who dwells hard by. She takes everything that comes, and fills her wicked coffers, which she has heaped so high by wrongdoing that she is richer than many a prince, and has purchased all the country lying near with her ill-gotten revenue. Her name is Munera. She is very beautiful and richly attired. Her hands are made of gold and her feet of silver. Many great lords have wished to marry her, but she is so proud that she despises them all. Now by my life, and with heaven to guide me, said Sir Artigal, no other way will I take this day but by that bridge where the Saracen abides. Therefore lead me thither. The Adventure of the Saracen's Bridge Sir Artigal soon came to the place where he saw the Saracen ready-armed on the bridge, waiting for spoil. When he and Talus drew near to cross it, an ugly-looking rascal came to them to demand passage-money, according to the custom of the law. "'Lo, there are your wages,' said Sir Artigal, and smote him so that he died. When the pagan saw this he grew very angry, and at once prepared himself for battle. Nor was Sir Artigal behind, so they both ran at each other with leveled spears." Right in the middle, where they would have met breast to breast, a trap was let down to make them fall into the river. The wicked wretch leaped down, knowing well that his foe would fall, but Sir Artigal was on his guard, and also leaped before he fell. Then both of them being in the stream, they flew at each other violently, the water in no way cooling the heat of their temper, but rather adding to it. But there the Saracen, who was well used to fighting in the water, had great advantage, and often almost overthrew Sir Artigal. The charger also which he rode could swim like a fish. When Sir Artigal saw the odds against him, he knew there was no way but to close hastily with his foe, and driving strongly at Polente he grabbed him fast by his iron collar and almost throttled him. There they strove and struggled together, each trying to drag the other from his horse, but nothing could make Artigal slacken his grip. At length he forced Polente to forsake his horse's back for fear of being drowned, and to betake himself to his swimming. There Polente had no advantage, for Artigal was skillful in swimming, and dared venture in any depth of water. So every knight exposed to peril should be expert in swimming, and able to make his way through water. For some time the end of the contest was doubtful, for besides being skilled in that exercise, both were well trained in arms, and thoroughly tried. Artigal, however, kept his breath and strength better, so that his foe could no longer withstand him, nor bear himself upright, but fled from the water to the land. Artigal, with his bright sword Chrysaor, pursued him so closely that Polente had scarcely set foot on shore before his head was cut off. This done, Sir Artigal took his way to the castle in which Munera dwelt, 
guarded by many defenders. Artigal sought entrance but was refused and defied with a torrent of evil abuse. He was also beaten with stones flung down from the battlements, so that he was forced to retire, and he bade his servant Talus invent some way by which he could enter without danger. Then Talus went to the castle gate, and let fly at it with his iron flail, so that it sorely terrified all the warders, and made those stoop who had borne themselves so proudly. He battered and banged on the door, and thundered strokes so hideously that he shook the very foundations of the building, and filled all the house with fear and uproar. At this noise the Lady Munera appeared on the castle wall. When she saw the dangerous state in which she stood, she feared she would soon be destroyed, and began with fair words to entreat the iron man below to cease his outrage, for neither the force of the stones which they threw, nor the power of charms which she had wrought against him, could make him stop. But when she saw him proceed, unmoved by pity or by prayers, she tried to bribe him with a goodly reward. She caused great sacks with countless riches to be brought to the battlements, and poured over the castle wall, so that she might gain some time, though dearly bought, whilst he gathered up the gold. Talus was not in the least moved or tempted by this, but still continued his assault with the iron flail, so that at length he rent down the door and made a way for his master. When Artigal entered it was no use for any one to try to withstand him. They all fled, their hearts failed them, and they hid in corners here and there, and their wicked lady herself, half dead, hid in terror. For a long time no one could find her, but Talus, who like a bloodhound could track out secret things, at length found her where she lay hidden under a heap of gold, and dragged her forth. Sir Artigal himself pitied her sad plight, but he could not change the course of justice. Like her father, Munera had to be punished, in order to warn all mighty people who possess great power that they must use it in the right way, and not oppress the feeble. The tyrant's daughter was thrown into the water, and the stream washed her away. Then Talus took all the ill-gotten gold and treasure which her father had scraped together by hook and crook, and burning it into ashes, poured it into the river. Lastly, he pulled down the castle to its very foundation, and broke up all the hewn stones, so that there could be no hope of its being restored, nor memory of it among any nation. All which Talus having thoroughly performed, Sir Artigal reformed the evil fashion and wicked customs of the bridge, and this done, he returned to his former journey. THE GIANT WITH THE SCALES After travelling a long, weary way, Sir Artigal and Talus came near the sea, and here one day they saw before them an immense crowd of people, stretching out as far as the eye could reach. They were much astonished at this great assembly, and therefore approached to ask what had brought them together. There they beheld a mighty giant standing on a rock, and holding high in his hand a great pair of scales, with which he boasted in his presumption that he would accurately weigh the whole world, if he had anything to match it in the other scale. He said he would take up all the earth and all the sea, divided from each other. So would he also make one balance of the fire, and one of air, without wind or weather. Then he would balance heaven and hell together, and all that was contained within them, and would not miss a feather of their weight. Any surplus of each that remained over he would restore to its own part. For, said he, they were all unequal, and had encroached on each other's share, like the sea which had worn the earth, as the fire had done the air. So all the rest took possession of each other's parts, and thus countries and nations had gone awry. All of which he undertook to repair in the way they had anciently been formed, and everything should be made equal. He would throw down the mountains and make them level with the plain. The towering rocks he would thrust down into the deepest sea. He would suppress tyrants so that they should no longer rule, and all the wealth of the rich men he would take away and give to the poor. 
All the silly, ignorant folk flocked about the giant, and clustered thick to hear his vain delusions, like foolish flies round a jar of honey, for they hoped to gain great benefits by him, and uncontrolled freedom. When Article saw and heard how he misled the simple people, he disdainfully drew near, and thus spoke to them without fear. You that presume to weigh the world anew, and restore all things to an equality, it seems to me to show great wrong instead of right, and boast far more than you are able to perform. And then he went on to rebuke the giant for his folly and presumption, and showed him that if he could not understand nor weigh properly even the things that he saw, how much less could he attempt to balance unseen matters, or call into account the works of the great ruler of the universe? But the giant would not listen to reason, for he had no real desire for the right, and he still tried to continue his false and wicked teaching. Talus, therefore, seeing his mischievous ignorance, came up and toppled him over into the sea, where he fell with a great splash and was drowned. When the people who had long waited there saw his sudden destruction, they began to gather in a turbulent mob, and tried to stir up strife because of the loss of all their expectations. For they had hoped to get great good and wonderful riches by the giant's new schemes, and resolving to revenge his death, they rose in arms and stood in order of battle. When Article saw this lawless multitude advancing in hostile fashion, he was much troubled, and did not know what to do. For he was loath to soil his hands by killing such a rascally crew, and yet he feared to retire lest they should follow him with shame. Therefore he sent Talus to them to inquire the cause of their array, and to request a truce. But as soon as they saw him coming, they began to attack him with their weapons, and rudely struck at him on every side, yet they could not in the least hurt or dismay him. Then Talus lay about him with his flail, and overthrew them like a swarm of flies. Not one of them dared come in his way, but they flew here and there, and hid themselves out of his sight in holes and bushes. When Talus saw that they all forsook the field, and none of the rascal rout were left, he returned to Sir Artigal, and they went on together. Borrowed Plumes and the Fate of the Snowy Lady After long storms and tempests, the sun's face again shines forth joyfully. So, when fortune has shown all her spite, some blissful hours at last must needs appear. So it was with the Lady Florimel. After escaping from the cruel hyena that killed and devoured her milk-white palfrey, she met with many troubles and misfortunes. But they were all over now and she was happily betrothed to her own true knight, Marinel. The time and place of the bridal were blazed far and wide, and solemn feasts and tournaments were arranged, to which a countless throng of lords and ladies resorted from all directions, nor was there any brave knight absent. It would need the tongue of a herald to tell the glory of the feast that day, the splendid service, the brilliant variety of entertainments, the pomp of the bridegroom, the richness of the bride's array, the crowd of noble ladies and gallant knights, the royal banquets, and the general rejoicing. When all the people had sufficiently feasted, they began to prepare themselves for deeds of arms and contests of chivalry. Then, first of all, rode forth Sir Marinel, and with him six more knights, to challenge all on behalf of Florimel, and to maintain that she excelled all other ladies. Against them came every one that cared to joust, from every coast and country under the sun no one was debarred, all had leave who chose. Many brave deeds were done that day, and many a knight unhorsed, but little was lost or won. All that day the greatest praise redounded to Marinel, so also the second day. At the end of the fighting the trumpets proclaimed that Marinel was the best. The third day came, which would test all the others, and the warriors met together to finish the tournament. Then Marinel again showed great valor, and flew like a lion through the thicket of the press, so that every one fled from the danger, and was amazed at his might. 
but the greater the prowess, the greater the peril. Marinel pressed so far into the ranks of the enemy that they closed up behind him, so that he could by no means make a way out. He was taken prisoner, and bound with chains, and would have been led away, forsaken of all, had not some succor overtaken him in time. It happened that while Marinel was thus sorely beset, Sir Artigal came into the tilt-yard with Braggadocio, whom he had lately met on the way with the false Florimel, the snowy lady. When Artigal heard the bad fortune that had betided Marinel, he was much excited at his undeserved disgrace. He immediately begged the braggart with whom he was riding to change shields with him, in order that he might be the better concealed, and thus armed he went forth, and soon overtook the knights who were leading Marinel away. There were a hundred of them altogether. Half of them set upon Sir Artigal, and half stayed behind to guard the prey. Artigal was not long in beating the first fifty, and soon snatched the prisoner from the other fifty. Then he quickly armed Marinel again, and together they overcame all the rest of the knights, and were left lords of the field. So Marinel was rescued from his foes. Having done this, Sir Artigal restored his shield to Braggadocio, who all this while had remained in the background. Then the trumpets sounded, and the judges rose, and all the knights who had borne armor that day came to the open hall to listen to whom the honor of the prize should be adjudged. There also in open sight came the fair Florimel into the public hall, to give his guerdon to every knight, and the best to him to whom the best should fall. Then they loudly called for the stranger knight to whom they should yield the garland, but he came not forth. But instead of Sir Artigal came Braggadocio, and showed his shield, which bore the device of the sun, broadly blazoned on a golden field. The sight filled them with gladness, so to him they adjudged the prize of all that triumph. Then the shrill trumpets thrice resounded the name of Braggadocio, and thus courage lent a cloak to cowardice. Then the beautiful Florimel came to Braggadocio, and spoke graciously in praise of his gallantry, and gave him a thousand thanks for so well defending her cause. To this the boaster, which filled all knights with utter contempt for him, made scornful answer that what he did that day he did, not for her, but for his own lady's sake, who excelled both her and every one else, and he added further bragging and unseemly speeches. His words much abashed the gentle lady, and she turned aside, ashamed to hear what he said. Then he brought forth his snowy Florimel, who was standing near, in charge of Trompard, covered with a veil from people's gaze, and when they had thoroughly eyed her they were stupefied with great amazement, saying that it was surely Florimel, or if it were not, then she surpassed Florimel herself. Such feeble skills have the vulgar with respect to perfect things. Marinel, likewise, when he beheld, was exceedingly amazed, not knowing what to think or to do. He stood for a long time lost in astonishment, his eyes fixed fast on the snowy maid, whom the more he looked at, the more he thought was the true Florimel. When Artigal, who stood all this while close covered in the crowd, saw everything that passed, and the boasting and ungrateful cheating of Braggadocio, he could stand it no longer, but came forth, and showed himself openly to every one, and said to the boaster, Base wretch, thou hast defaced another's worth with thy lies, and decked thyself with borrowed plumes. When they are all restored, thou shalt be left in disgrace. That shield which thou bearest was indeed the one which saved the day's honour to Marinel, but that was not the arm, nor thou the man who did that service to Florimel. For proof, show forth thy sword, and let it tell what strokes, what dreadful battle it stirred up this day, or show the wounds which befell you. But this is the sword which wrought such havoc, and this is the arm which bore that shield, and these the signs, he pointed to his wounds, by which it is apparent the glory was got. As for that lady which he shows here, he continued, turning to the others, 
It is not Florimel at all, but some worthless creature, fit for such a mate who has fallen into his hand by misfortune. And for proof he bade them call the true Florimel. So the noble lady was brought, adorned with honour and all comely grace, blushing with modesty, so that the roses mixed with the lilies in her lovely face, for she still felt deep shame at the rude words which Braggadocio had flung at her. And when the people saw her they shouted aloud, and all showed signs of gladness. Then Sir Artigal placed her by the snowy lady, like a true saint beside some painted image, to make trial of their beauty, and to see which should get the honour. Straightway, as soon as they were both met together, the enchanted damsel vanished into nothing. Her body of snow melted as with heat, and nothing remained of all her goodly appearance except the empty girdle, which had been clasped round her waist. When the people present beheld this, they were struck with astonishment, and their hearts quailed with horror to see the thing which seemed so excellent stolen away, so that no one understood what became of it. Braggadocio himself was so daunted with despair that he stood immovable, like a lifeless body. But Sir Artigal took up the golden belt, the only thing reft of all the spoil, which was not the snowy lady's, as many believed, but Florimel's own girdle, reft from her when she fled from the vile monster. Unbuckling it, he presented it to Florimel, who fitted it perfectly round her slender waist. The girdle possessed the magic power of breaking or becoming unfastened when it was put on by any unworthy person. Many ladies had often tried to wear it, but it fitted no one till it came into the hands of its rightful owner, Florimel. End of section 17. Recording by Sean Michael Hogan, St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada.